welcome to the Coronation Conversations podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwe Egrim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will steer these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussions. Now let's get started. In this episode, we will be discussing inflation, and the topic of our conversation is inflationary pressure, weaker purchasing power. My guest today is a renowned economist with over 30 years experience as an economist, banker, and financial analyst, Bismarck Rewani. Bismarck Rewani is the managing director, chief executive officer of financial derivative company. Mr. Rewani holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Ibadan and is an associate of the Institute of Bankers, England and Wales, and a fellow of the Nigerian Institute of Bankers. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Mr. Rwani. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's begin. Um, Over the past 69 months, Nigeria's headline inflation has remained at double digit. Declines have been recorded in recent months, However, inflationary pressure still exists. This episode will focus on Nigeria's inflation trend and its impact on um, consumer pockets and on rates. My first question is geared towards the fact that the headline inflation has been above the CBN's uh, preferred inflation target of 6 to 9%. A member of the Monetary Policy Committee mentioned recently that current pressures on domestic prices appear firmly rooted in supply shocks related to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as insecurity, and believes that boosting domestic production of goods and services and easing distribution bottlenecks would be an immediate solution to inflation pressures. Do you agree with this? What is your general view on current inflationary pressure? I agree partially. So assume that it was because of the pandemic that Nigeria's inflation uh, remained in double digit is not correct. The reality is that we had inflationary pressures at this level before the COVID pandemic. The COVID pandemic only made it, uh, aggravated the bad situation. And the COVID pandemic, as you know, we are beginning to ease and there's a recovery. So one has to look at the inflationary fundamental causes of inflation in Nigeria and try, try to analyze it in the context of one. Is it structural? Is it transitory? Or is it driven by liquidity? Or is it driven by exchange rate pass-through effect? Or is it just driven by cost pressures? So I would I would submit that inflation has both structural, structural factors in Nigeria, but also it has its transitory and you know, um, current factors that are driving it. So it is a combined effect of this that actually um, makes 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 us make, put us in a situation where we are actually above the trend, above the the sub-Saharan African average of about nine point five percent, above the global average of five percent, and quite frankly, uh, we, we our inflation levels uh, should be much lower than what they are today. Thank you so much for that, sir. 
How about your thoughts around the interlinkage between inflation and the exchange rate in Nigeria's context? Surely there should be a pass-through effect on prices of imported goods. However, when we see the trend with regards to imported food price inflation, we find that there have been very marginal increases. Can you share your view on this? First of all, let's, let's, uh, let's derive this from a purely macroeconomic perspective. Number one is that the marginal propensity to import, which means which measures the um, increase in imports or change in imports as a result of a change in income, is about 0.27. In other words, if our national income or GDP was to grow by point by 1%, we'll get a 0.2 change in the import content of tradables. And when you take the tradables, and then you can now begin to see the pass-through effect of, of that. So uh, to that extent, it means that the, the pass-through is not direct. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a one-on-one correlation. Uh, therefore, it can, what I will say is that it's part of the problem, but it is not the whole problem. And so how do we how do we dimension it properly? I've told you about the marginal propensity to import, which is 0.2, which actually reflects the direct import content of your um, price impact on your import content. Now, what it does mean is that you, we must also recognize that Nigeria has a huge informal sector. What and the informal sector, maybe 30, 40% of GDP, which is not fully captured. And also there's a strong correlation between the informal sector and smuggling. So you have smuggling where the parallel market rate has a direct impact on domestic prices. Right. So when you when you when you actually put all of these things together, you'll see that the prices of commodities in the basket, both the food and non-food basket, is driven to a large extent by, by the uh, exchange rate effect. And you, definitely, every time you see the exchange rate depreciate, you see a, a change in prices. First of all, the initial impact, and then subsequently, it begins to taper off. So it is true that in that relationship, but it, is, it may not be as strong as is. Um, by many, many, um, many policymakers. Okay, so I completely agree with that. Now, the food inflation rate has been the key driver for double-digit headline inflation. What forward steps can be taken by both government and the private sector to resolve this? Food inflation is price of food at the market, at the retail level. I think that it's, it's a number of factors because you have security, you have logistics, and then you have um, market structure, structural defects in the market. Uh, of course, the, the food value chain goes from production to distribution to storage and post-harvest, loss, post-harvest losses. Um, so to take food inflation in isolation of all of these factors, will be to, to misunderstand the, the nature of the problem. So to solve that problem, you have to deal with security. So that, first of all, post-service losses, storage, security, and then the impact of the price of diesel. Most of the food 
items are transported by trucks that use diesel. The price of diesel has gone all the way from, it was 190 Naira this time last year. And it's now 355 Naira. So you can see that for yourself. So the transportation and logistics cost. Um, then, of course, we, we've talked about the storage. And then it's not just not storage in the depots, but also uh, storage at the retail end. And there are attempts and there are initiatives to improve this, but it's, it has not actually manifested itself fully. That is one factor about food maintenance. The other thing is that the displacement effect of industrial processing of food commodities, and I'll use, I'll use three commodities as, a, as examples. I'll take maize. The fact that maize is being used for direct consumption, one. Two, the maize is being used for manufacturing of um, breakfast cereals like Golden Moon by Nestle. So you have the direct consumption, you have the the uh, the, uh, the the use for manufacturing, and then you have industrial processing. People are using maize and converting it into ethanol. So if you look at that globally, the reduction, there's a reduction in direct consumption, a greater use of these commodities for industrial processing, which is the conversion to ethanol, and then for manufacturing. And finally, the manufacturing of livestock feed. So we have these four things going up there. The same can be said about sorghum. The same can be said about cassava, which is also used for ethanol. And the same can be said about molasses for sugar. So while on one hand, you have the security issue, and secondly, you have the logistics issue, you also have this displacement effect of substituted demand by other users, which is now putting pressure on these food commodities and to a large extent, the cross-elasticity for other substitute products. So this is what is happening. So we have a much more structural problem when it comes to food inflation. Which is, which is a good thing, because it means that the demand for these commodities is actually aggregate demand is actually increasing. Now, how do we now lead to a shift in the in the supply curve by actually making sure that we can we can increase our total supply by leaps and bounds to meet the aggregate shift the, the shift in the aggregate demand curve for this for these commodities. Thank you so much for that. You touched on demand and supply dynamics, which feeds nicely into my next um, question, which is, would you agree that Nigeria is dealing with both cost push inflation, supplies that supply side constraints and demand pull inflation that is um, on the back of the release of pent up demand on the back of lockdowns in 2020? Or would you say consumer pockets are still relatively weak for this to be the case? That is um, relatively weak for demand for inflation to be the case. Well, when you talk about inflation, you have to understand the difference between inflation psychology and inflation expectations. The psychology of inflation is that you are afraid that prices are going to increase and your wages are not increasing. Therefore, you begin to make some changes in your consumer preference. But inflation expectation makes you speculate and makes you buy things in advance of uh, the, the impending change in prices. So the demand pool is broken down into these two segments. Why the cost push is what, what we've addressed earlier, which is the distribution cost, 
the, um, the extra rate pass through and all other factors that can lead to both permanent or temporary disruption in the supply supply chain. So one can take it this way, but another thing is that you we understand that incomes are dwindling, but also policymakers in Nigeria seem to confuse income for liquidity. You can have an increase in liquidity which can fuel inflation, whilst at the same time you have a reduction in income which will actually reduce aggregate demand. And therefore, and then you have to look at the money supply growth, right, versus output growth. Then you now take this into the income substitution effect of the, 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 the you know, that, that we have to deal with. So it's, to simplify it for the audience, we have to understand that, yes, there's cost push and demand pool, but also demand pool is fueled by liquidity on one hand, but it's also moderated by it's moderated by uh, by it's moderated by dwindling of income, erosion of income, um, and changes in consumer patterns. Okay, okay. So, can we touch upon the logic behind base effects? I'm asking this question because this has cropped up so many times this year. Some investors and business owners do not understand the downward trend in the headline inflation, given the steady rise in prices of food products across markets, as well as the quick price rise that you see in some components components that are uh, within the core measure in the inflation basket. Well, there's been a moderation in official inflation data. Um, I think there's also been a moderation and a steady decline in what I can call published data on inflation. But anecdotal evidence at times runs contrary to empirical evidence. So I, I, I but I seem to understand and we've created our own synthetic basket, which has shown that prices have increased much more than the official inflation data seems to suggest. So the question of data integrity becomes a major issue in Nigeria. Um, again, it depends on methodology. It depends on how you um, slice and dice the data you have. But it's something that we need to uh, look at. Uh, so investors are concerned about what they see, what they hear, and what they are reading. So that, that is it. But having said that, um, I think the seasonality, seasonality of prices because of food inflation during harvest and during planting seasons. But something that happened this year, which was quite interesting, was normally during harvest, you eat the grains, you consume the grains, and you plant the seeds. This year, because of scarcity, we saw that seeds were being consumed as well as grains. That was a very interesting phenomenon. And that, that means that the next planting season, this planting season, you'll have less planted and it will affect the future harvest. I think you need to take that into consideration. That's very interesting. Thank you for that. Now, what are your thoughts around the current inflation basket, including the weightings? Inflation basket was last we considered in 2009. Normally, at best, you do that every five years. Uh, what we have seen, I think it's overdue. It should have been done. Uh, should have been done some time ago, 
so, and I think it's work in progress. They're working on it right now. Uh, I think that if you reconstitute it and use transport communication and you increase the weights of that, increase the weights for health, increase the weights and reduce the weight for food, you might find that inflation outcomes may be different. But all I can say is that no matter how you slice and dice the basket, uh, the trend of inflation in Nigeria is upwards. And one of the major things is also, from a pure economic standpoint, the moment you have inflation rate 15, 16, and you have treasury interest rates at three, four, five, six, seven, there's that gap, which essentially means that the marginal propensity to save, which is the function of interest rates, will reduce, and the marginal propensity to consume will increase. And that is what one of the things that fuels inflation. So there are things, the way policymakers respond to inflationary threats, and which could also stoke further inflation, or, you know, so we need to deal with how to respond to it and how to curb it. But don't forget that there was a time when we had inflation at high levels and interest rates were higher than that, and that helped to moderate inflation, increase savings, national savings, and also help to strengthen the currency in, in, at the same time. So, it's a, so I know your question is about the causes of inflation, but I'm also using the opportunity to talk about some of the things that we can do in the short run to moderate inflation, to keep it under check. No, that's fine because you've actually given us some kind of direct correlation to fixed income instruments and, and that ties nicely into, into the next question, which is given that the headline inflation is declining based on what official data is showing us, the risk-free interest rate is looking slightly better. Is, is this enough to attract investors into our financial markets? No, the decline in inflation is much slower. It's much slower than it's much slower than the rate of the decline in interest. That is the decline in interest rates. The decline in inflation is much slower than the rate of decline in interest rates. Therefore, you have when the interest rate differential on inflation has actually stayed flat or actually increased. So I don't think that is the reason. Uh, the, the things that are driving the fixed income market and the capital markets all together even though they are interest rate sensitive, is more a function of excess liquidity in that market and looking for where to pack your, your pack your funds than actually the the, 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 the the coupon rate or the rate of return in the interest rate in the market. Okay, okay, thank you for that. Is there a way for investors to hedge against um, inflation risks? Not really. The, the thing is to look at the level of productivity. When you look at total factor productivity, which is the optimal use of capital in a country, I think I, I see trends to see that that's improving in Nigeria, especially when you look at 2022 and 2023. So if total factor productivity is increasing, it does mean that output is likely to increase. And when you look at output growth, it has, it's gone, GDP has gone from virtually two in 2022, we're expecting to go, go as high as 3.7, and in 2023, to go as high as almost 3.9 or 4. That way, if you know that output is going to be going and prices are not going to be going at that rate, right, then you can now begin to take a position 
with a view that uh, inflation is not going to be, you're not going to have run away or hyper inflation. Inflation will moderate. So you now begin to look for returns in different segments of the market where you think there'll be growth that will outperform the rate of inflation. So there's no perfect hedge against inflation. One of the hedges usually in, in the days past was real estate or precious metals. Uh, I think that is, I, I would say that I would have a, a blended portfolio of some real estate, some precious metals, and going long on uh, companies or sectors that are likely to outperform the GDP growth rate and outperform the rate of inflation. If I look at companies in building materials, for example, they are likely to outperform the inflation. So if I buy into any of the building material companies that are doing well with free cash flow, then the likelihood, the probability that I'll be outperforming inflation is very high. I think that's my own way. And even if I buy their uh, fixed income instruments as well, their bonds, that would, that would do me, that would do some good to my, to my portfolio. Thank you for that. I'm going to adopt your portfolio mix as well. Okay, so my next question is, um, what factors are likely to improve the purchasing power of the average Nigerian? Well, in the end, it's growth, growth, growth. Output, output, output. So, and growth and output is a function of investment. Investment means domestic investment and international investment. The factors that will make it go, go in that direction is number one, making sure that interest rates move as close as possible to the rate of inflation so that people are incentivized to, to save and to invest. And that policies and pronouncements and actions of government are so that also encourage international investment flows to come into the market. Is this going to happen? Yes, it will happen. When will it happen? I think very soon, because um, whatever things are moving in the right direction, but it needs to be accelerated. And the backwards and forward movement in terms of policy, the flip-flops are not are not are not tenable in the current environment. Okay, so this is my final question. Can you please share? your forward-thinking view with regards to inflation? Well, my view about inflation is that inflation, official inflation will will fall in line with um, anecdotal evidence. My view is that there will be a, a spike in inflation due to certain adjustments initially after the removal of petroleum subsidy and some adjustments. But quickly thereafter, you will see a tapering off of inflation. Inflation. So in 2022, we think the average inflation rate will drop to as low as 14 after uh, reaching maybe 18 percent, or it will drop off there. So you have a kinked inflation trajectory in 2022. At least towards the end of 2022, we will see a drop off in inflation. Okay. I know I said that that was my last question, but I just, one last question cropped yeah. up right now in my head. Do you think that electioneering activities would um, have some kind of impact on inflation figures? Yes, it will have an impact, but the impact will be more uh, 
more of initially moderating inflation because uh, some investors would stay tentative and monies would be packed at that time. But uh, depending on the outcome of the election, and the election is only 395 days away, depending on the outcome of the election and the way and the, the run up to the election, we might have a clear understanding of what the, and the, the risk premium begins to decline because we have credible uh, uh, candidates and good good choices to make, then we may see inflation actually decline. But if if we are if we are uh, left with a difficult choice, um, then you will see inflation and panic buying and all of that because you, are, you have to make a choice between death by cholera or death by poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so so much for that. Thank you so much for you, accepting man. our invitation to share from your extensive bank of knowledge. I completely enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received and don't forget to share the coronation conversations across your network. You can listen to our pod series by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Spreaker, and Player FM.